0: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good morning, everyone. This is Trevor Van Winkle, and you're listening to... Homestead on the Corner. What is the most important thing you need before you can write an effective story? Is it genre, setting, protagonist, the inciting instant and the resolution, a 100-page story bible with the backstory of every character and event in your narrative, an idea or feeling you want to evoke, or a question you want to explore? Notice I didn't ask, what do you need before you can start writing, period. I'm not saying you need anything at all before you begin writing your first draft. You can start with nothing more than a single word or image and just let the story run wild from there. Everyone has their own process. However, from my experience and based on everything I've read and learned about writing, before you can begin writing an effective story, one that will create a genuine emotional or intellectual effect in the reader or audience, there's one thing you need in order to make every other creative choice. It's the idea at the heart of the story, the picture of life that you want to communicate with this narrative. Sometimes you don't know it when you start. Often it only appears very briefly in your first draft, but to really have a story, as opposed to a report of events, the narrative has to be about something, and that something is your premise. All effective stories have some kind of premise, a value system portrayed and argued through character and plot rather than verbally. Oedipus Rex argues against the foolishness of opposing fate, warning that avoiding one inevitability will often lead to something worse. Avengers: Endgame praises the sacrifices of fathers for their children, allowing the good father to win out over the evil one who sacrificed his own children for his ambitions. Doctor Who offers the fantasy of being able to run away from the boring parts of life, yet continually comes back to how that lifestyle robs people of the simple pleasures of belonging and home. Breaking Bad shows the cruelty and lust for power that lurks in the heart of the most everyday, every man, and shows how extreme circumstances can bring it to life with terrible consequences. The Count of Monte Cristo follows much the same idea, though it grants Dantes a pyrrhic victory in the end, to show that there should be justice for the suffering of innocents. Take a long look at any film, book, TV series, or other piece of storytelling media that has had a lasting impact on you or others, And you'll see that underneath the extraordinary circumstances, genre trappings, and spectacle of the presentation, each narrative contains a central idea about the human experience of life. In other words, good storytelling is always about something beyond the specific characters and setting, though it is expressed specifically through those people and places. It is this nugget of truth and reality that I refer to as the premise. The premise of your story is a concise statement of the values that you want to argue for or against in your narrative. It's similar to the idea of a worldview, a way of viewing the relationships between cause and effect, and the belief that certain actions lead to good outcomes while others lead to bad ones. Almost always, the premise reflects the writer's own worldview, or at least one facet of it. This is similar to a moral, which is a lesson or instruction usually, though not always, explicitly stated within the narrative. While they are seen as simplistic and associated with children's stories, many well-constructed narratives have an explicit moral in addition to a strong premise. For instance, they who hesitate are lost is a moral, but it's also the premise of the Orpheus myth and the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The key difference is that the premise is communicated through the plot and characters. Looking back is prohibited by forces within the story world, and the characters of Orpheus and Lot's wife both make an active choice to disobey, reaping the tragic consequences for their actions. In other words, the premise is a natural part of a story with genuine stakes, choices, and consequences. Premises are generally richer and more complex than morals. A story with a moral seeks to project a clear-cut, black-and-white vision of life in order to argue that moral, usually to younger readers. A premise should be richer, as it controls a narrative with real conflict, ambiguity, and uncertainty, while still providing a thematic argument in favor of one side or the other. For an example, here are some of the premises for the most recent story episodes of this podcast. Spoilers ahead, obviously. The Silver Age. Hope in spite of circumstances will save humankind from self-destruction. Siren's Gold. Self-centered ambition is ultimately self-defeating. Worlds After. Reconciliation is only possible when we honestly admit our mistakes. As you can see, all of these premises are connected to the central psychological and moral need of the protagonist, and inform their emotional and personal journey, rather than their physical objectives in the plot. Robert McKee refers to premise as the controlling idea, a single notion that dictates your choices while writing the final version of your story. For instance, if you are trying to build a cast of characters and can't decide if one of them really belongs, you have no way of knowing if you don't understand what your story is really about you may try to feel them out through the narrative itself, seeing if they fit in the scenes in which they appear. However, this is an example of writing from the outside in, watching your story as an outside observer and trying to make decisions from a perspective closer to that of an audience member rather than the creator. To write from the inside out, you need to know the underlying mechanics of your story, what makes it tick and move and breathe in a natural way. In other words, you have to know your premise. By knowing what values you are arguing for and against, you can know which characters belong and which do not. Moreover, you can know why they don't belong and how to fix them. And it's the same with scenes. If you have a scene that you really like, but you can't shake the feeling that it's dragging the narrative down or seems disconnected from the larger story, then check it against the premise. If the scene doesn't advance, contradict, heighten, or complicate the argument in an interesting way, then it probably doesn't belong. It might be a very good scene, as your outlier character might be a very good character, but neither of them needs to be a part of the story. More likely, those elements belong to another story currently brewing in the back of your mind. Make notes, keep the pages in a separate document, and then remove them from the finished narrative. On the other hand, perhaps they don't fit your existing premise, and yet are central to the narrative you're trying to create. Perhaps you cut them out only to find that the story falls apart and loses its appeal without them, and you can't find a way to reincorporate their parts into the remaining characters. What happened? Most likely, you'll find that you're working from a faulty premise. It can be rather difficult to distill your initial story ideas down to a single premise, and most first drafts aren't about only one thing, but several. As you begin the writing process, your mind goes in a hundred different directions, and what you're really writing about changes day by day, chapter by chapter, often based on what's happening at work, or in the news, or with your friends. Even with polished narratives, it can be difficult to distill them down to a single controlling idea or premise, especially if the author really knows their craft and encoded it fully within the plot and characters. Have you ever read the explain a film plot badly subreddit? All of those summaries could be described as premises for popular films, just not very helpful ones. Now, while that's an exaggerated example, it's not so far-fetched that when looking for your premise, you end up finding one that seems or feels correct, but isn't actually the controlling idea of the story at all. Or you may start with one premise when writing, but then clarify or even completely change it by the time you begin the second draft because of organic developments in the story. Something like that actually happened to me recently when I began editing my latest book and laid out the major plot points and thematic developments. I was both overjoyed to have a clear understanding of what my story was really about and rather annoyed that I would have to cut a lot of elements and shift the focus of others to make it work. Irritating as the idea may be, you need a strong central premise if your narrative has any hope of inducing a single strong effect on the reader or audience. You can definitely include other ideas in your narrative, especially in longer-form novels and series, but trust me, it's hard enough to make the reader feel anything more than fleeting, vicarious emotion on a scene-to-scene basis. If you want them to walk away from the narrative and still feel it in their bones, if you want them to remember it years from now as a story that changed their life, you need to make sure that your story argues a single, clear premise well throughout the entire work. No matter how many different, fascinating ideas you weave into the narrative, it needs to be understood at a basic, emotional level the first time a reader or audience member experiences it. Otherwise, it will be quickly forgotten when they read a story that might be less intelligent or artful, but provokes a stronger response. In the digital age, we aren't writing the only novel that some people will ever read. We're writing for an audience drowning in choices and overwhelmed with information. To give your story a fighting chance of standing out in the crowd, you have to affect your audience deeply enough that their minds keep coming back to that story over and over again. That doesn't mean falling back on shock value or cheap tricks. It means having something compelling to say and saying it well. And saying it well in storytelling means saying it with plot and character. So how do you translate your premise into the language's story? While it's difficult to do so, it's less difficult than translating a raw feeling or idea, provided that the premise is clearly developed and properly stated. At the bare minimum, your premise should include values in conflict, a moral argument, and if possible, some element of irony or paradox. For instance, the premise of Siren's Gold plays on the paradox that seeking what is best only for one's own self often leads to the destruction of that self, either physically or spiritually. The values in conflict are selfishness versus cooperation or the common good, though the second is only implied as an alternative to selfishness. The moral argument is clearly against self-centered ambition, showing it as a moral dead end, in this case quite literally. You can see how the three parts of the story triangulum can be easily derived by including those elements in your statement of premise. The primary values in conflict are those represented by the protagonist and antagonist. In this case, Barrett is the protagonist, though a dark inversion of the typical hero. As a pirate-turned-pirate-hunter, his character and backstory clearly represent a history of selfish ambition, first killing and stealing from others to gain wealth, then turning on his fellow pirates when he saw an opportunity for career advancement. He endangers and ultimately gets his crew killed in a vainglorious pursuit of Anne Bonny, then tries to keep her prisoner even after they're stranded together on the same island. On the other hand, Bonny acts as antagonist, in this case an inversion of the typical villain role, and thus represents a more cooperative, shared approach to success. When she gets free, she chooses to work together with Barrett to try and survive, saves his life twice despite him being dead weight, and collaborates with him to help build a ship that would allow them to escape. As a founding member of the Pirate's Republic, her history speaks to bringing people together and trying to work for the common good, relatively speaking, rather than her own ambitions. The argument plays out in their conflict throughout the plot, with Barrett continually being distracted by his own safety, wealth, and commission to hunt Bonnie, while Bonnie pragmatically works to make sure they both survive on the deserted island. This culminates in Barrett trying to kill her and escape with the ship, but Anne, as a representative of a value bigger than the individual self, is beyond death, a specter of justice who punishes the selfish actions of others. The entire time on the island was not just a metaphorical test of Barrett's character and capacity to change, it was a literal one within the story world, devised by the ghostly Bonnie to see if Barrett could change his ways. When he couldn't, he faced a dire judgement that he'd escaped all his life. The irony of the premise comes in to enrich the conflict between Anne and Barrett, who are, at best, an anti-hero and a sympathetic villain. And also in Barrett's unreliable narration as he tries to twist the story to portray him as a hero. This narration not only serves to clarify the action, but to show another side of Barrett's self-centeredness and ambition. He's been able to control the narrative of his own life for so long that he expects others to accept it and see him as the good guy no matter how monstrous his actions are. In The Art of Dramatic Writing by Lajos Egri, he argues that strong dramatic writing is always dialectical, that is, a conversation or dialogue. It's a competition, in character action, dialogue, and plot structure, between two opposing ideas, a thesis and an antithesis. These two ideas are part of the premise, and are most strongly represented by the protagonist and central antagonist of the narrative, though other characters provide additional support for one side or the other. Through the course of the story, the debate between thesis and antithesis, both in word and action, continues to grow, with the antithesis becoming more and more powerful until the original thesis becomes untenable. At this point, the protagonist must adapt and change their core belief to accommodate the new perspective, or else fail to do so. This new belief is a synthesis of the original thesis and antithesis, and often represents a more balanced and accurate view of reality. This synthesis, in most narratives, is what allows the protagonist to overcome the forces of antagonism. This is obviously not the case in Siren's Gold. In a dark version of the normal hero's journey, Barrett doesn't learn his lesson, and the antithesis gains complete victory over him. However, in the Silver Age, Lara Lynn is able to synthesize her own experience of loss with Silver's hope and conviction, to produce a synthesis stronger than either of the original arguments. The same with worlds after. Utkin enters the story with his guilt hidden beneath his arrogance, but eventually has his barriers broken down by Harper's openness and willingness to admit and accept her own faults. I could go on, but I think you get the picture. By creating strong premises with values in conflict, a moral argument, and ironic elements, then translating those components into characters and plot through the dialectical approach, you can create compelling stories that not only have something to say, but communicate those elements through action, rather than stating them explicitly. In other words, stories that show rather than tell. Now, I know a lot of writers get nervous about the idea that narratives should say something about life. Something in Creative People rebels to the idea that a narrative has to say something, rather than just being what it is. I understand the perspective. It's one I shared for a long time when I began writing. But the more I wrote, and the closer I looked at the stories that stuck with me, I discovered that it wasn't really a question of whether or not they argued for a certain way of living. It was a matter of whether they did so effectively or not. When presenting a narrative with conflict and character growth, it's virtually impossible not to present one side as positive and another as negative. If they weren't opposed, there would be no conflict. And with no conflict, there would be no drama and no story. When you ignore this fact and try to avoid anything that might be misconstrued as moralizing or preachy, there are two ways the narrative usually turns. Either the conflict between your characters becomes contrived or disingenuous with no real personal stakes, or you try to force political or philosophical systems into the mouths of your characters, placing the premise you really want to argue in the dialogue without encoding it in the characters and plot. In the first case, you end up with a flat dramatic structure. In the second, you end up with characters we don't understand speaking words that no human being has ever really said. Every story has a premise, even stories with no apparent character arc for the protagonist. I recently watched a video essay that argued Back to the Future was one such film. That's a fair diagnosis, but there are definitely values in conflict. At the very least, the film dramatizes an internal conflict between apathy and taking responsibility for one's life. Both Marty and George McFly begin as apathetic teenagers. George out of cowardice, and Marty out of a mid-80s angst. They both have a mentor or antagonist figure who opens their eyes to the possibility of a life fully lived. For Marty, this is Doc, and for George, oddly enough, it's his future son, Marty. While Marty might not necessarily have an apparent arc in the film, seeing his father grow and evolve allows him to respect the person his father becomes, and throughout the trilogy Marty begins to take a greater sense of responsibility for his actions, rather than just being swept along by the Doc first by messing up and then fixing his life in part two, and then by deciding to rescue Doc alone in part three. While on the surface the Back to the Future trilogy is a fun, light comedy without much to say, there is still a premise underneath. A simplistic one perhaps, but one I think anyone who's ever been a teenager can emotionally connect to. Of course it is possible to find stories without a strong premise, just as it is possible to write them. There are a dime a dozen, A flash in the pan that might contain some impressive spectacles, but leaves you scratching your head wondering what the author was trying to say. That confusion is the only lasting impression those kinds of stories really leave. It's also just as possible to find bad stories with strong premises, the kinds of movies and books and TV shows where we say, I see where they were going, but... More often than not, these are the kinds of stories where the author didn't know how to encode their message into the subtext and design of the work, or else picked the wrong characters and plot to communicate the idea. Most of the time, the premise ends up in the mouth of one of the characters, and the audience either laughs, cringes, or sighs heavily when they hear it. As much as I love Christopher Nolan, I think Interstellar is the clearest example of this problem in recent memory. Half of the dialogue in that film feels like an on-the-nose discussion of the premise, instead of things real characters would actually say. Rather than develop and trust the story to carry the theme forward, Nolan told us what each scene was about as it was happening. When I first watched the trailers, I was ecstatic. A hard sci-fi epic from one of my favorite living directors? What's not to love? But I walked out of that theater hollowed out, saying, I see where he was going, but, Test your premise. If you find your characters need to explicitly state it in order to move the story along, consider reworking your premise, your characters, or both to better reflect each other. If you have beta readers and they tell you, I see where you're going with this, consider that this may be a red flag. The best stories are the ones where you really don't see where the author is going until the end, or even until long after the narrative is over. But you connect with a story on a visceral, emotional level that makes your heart, mind and spirit move within you. This, my friends, is the power of premise. for listening to this episode of Homestead on the Corner. Today's postulation on premise was written and produced by Trevor Van Winkle with music from the subtly skillful Lauren Baker. Finding your premise can take a while. So why not take a break to visit Twitter and Instagram where you can find me at Trevor underscore VW or you could even visit homesteadonthecorner.com for extra content, outtakes, and more info about the show. Or even better, If you enjoyed this lesson and want to help the show, then please consider supporting Homestead on the Corner on Patreon as a monthly donor. It makes a huge difference. Next episode, a thrilling heist, industrial espionage, and the dangerous conspiracy in the late 1960s. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help get this show out to more people. Well, that's about all for now. From the homestead in the corner, have a great day and keep riding.